Acts chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in the middle of a passage. A lame man has been healed miraculously outside the temple. The resurrection power of Jesus is being manifest and the people are confused and delighted and curious and they want to know how this man was healed. And Simon Peter, never lacking for words, preaches a sermon because he sees an opportunity and we're going to listen in on his sermon. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 12, chapter 3 of Acts and invite you to stand if you're able to do so. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, last Sunday, we were blessed by the message in song and words through our youth, but two Sundays ago was Easter Sunday, and we looked at another sermon by Simon Peter, one of the first messages recorded after the resurrection of Jesus, and we saw some amazing and wonderful truths there. And so here is a second sermon after the resurrection of Jesus by Simon Peter, And in this passage, in this sermon, he identifies one key to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the same key that is important in the ongoing walk we have with Jesus Christ as believers, and it is repentance. To repent. To repent means to turn around. It means to go the other way. It means a change of mind, a change of heart. It means to change our hearts and to live. Now, it's interesting how Simon Peter develops this thought because he, first of all, makes it clear some things about God. You see, if we're going to turn from our sin, if we're going to turn from a life that has shut God out and turned toward God, we need to understand something about God. So Simon Peter mentions that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, we usually mention that as sort of a throwaway phrase. Uh, We read that if we're in 
a Sunday school class or in our Bible readings, well, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it's important because it means, it reminds us that God is a God of purpose and plans, that God is directing history somewhere. He's the God of Abraham. He had a plan, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that your life, my life, our lives are not just random connections of independent days, one day after another. Our lives are not just a series of accidental happenings. That God is in charge. That God is guiding all of history toward God's self. And God wants us to understand that God is going somewhere and wants us to go along. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's a personal God. God knows your name. Just like he knew the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God knows you. God is personal. So Simon Peter is laying the foundation in his sermon saying, why would you want to run away from a God who is purposeful? In this world of random accidents and illness and disease, why would you want to turn away from a God who's guiding history somewhere? Why would you want to reject this God? Why don't you turn to this God and repent? Why would you want to run away from a God who knows your name? A God who loves you, a God who's personal, a God who has named you. Why run from him and ignore him? Why not turn? Why not turn around and repent and come to that God? And then Simon Peter also makes a point in this sermon. He says, you know, why would we run away and ignore and shut our hearts to a God who's given us Jesus Christ? And embedded in this sermon, brief as it is, are several names for Jesus. And I want to show you and just lift up for you some of the names for Jesus mentioned by Simon Peter in this sermon. We don't have time to talk about all of them. But in verse 13, he calls Jesus the servant or the child. Most Bible scholars believe this is a reference to Isaiah 53 and other passages from the prophet Isaiah talking about the suffering servant who's taken on our sins taken on our burdens, taken on our, our diseases. He's called, Jesus is called the Holy and Righteous One, verse 14. He's called the Author of Life, verse 15, or the Prince or the Leader of Life. And verse 15, he's called the Messiah, God's Chosen, God's Anointed One. Simon Peter is saying, why would we want to run away? Why would we want to reject a God so merciful who'd give us his suffering servant son who would allow Jesus to bear our sins? And by the way, that holy and righteous one that Peter references in the sermon, he reminds them that at Jesus' trial, you remember that scene from the the Holy Week when, when we read our Bibles? He reminds us of Jesus' trial when Pilate, the Roman leader, uh, had an idea of how to get Jesus out of trouble. He says to the crowd, this man Jesus has done nothing wrong. Don't you remember your custom that we, I let one person go free during this Passover festival and I'll just let Jesus go free? And the crowd shouted, no, no, crucify Jesus, but let Barabbas, the murderer, go free. Wow. Twisted justice, huh? twisted world. And then, with dripping irony, Simon Peter says in the sermon, you killed the author of life. Now think about that phrase. 
Think about that phrase. That's an oxymoron. How do you kill the author of life? Jesus, who was with God in eternity past and made everything, but humbled himself and became a servant. We killed the one who is life itself. So Simon Peter says, if if you're one of those people who's always concerned about justice, you know, maybe you're the person who's always crying tears when you hear about something that's not fair. You're one of those people whose heart breaks when you read something where someone's been treated unfairly and unjustly. Simon Peter says, doesn't this lead us toward repentance? To recognize that God in Jesus Christ without sin bore our sins? He, He took on himself that which was not fair to take. Simon Peter says, how can you run away? How can you reject this kind of God? Turn around. By faith, come back to him because he offers so much. We might pause at this point and and just reflect. After all that God does for us, after all that Jesus is for us, what are the things that keep us from repenting? What are the things that keep us from coming to Christ, from turning around. Martin Luther, the great reformer and great preacher, pondered this thought, and at one point he said, the things that keep us from repenting are success, money, things haven't changed much, have they? Status, self-love, and in our 21st century vernacular, we might say control issues, We want to be in charge. We want to be boss. And I would add to Martin Luther's list, self-sufficiency. I'm good enough as I am. Shame, the opposite of that. I don't deserve to be saved. Self-sufficiency, shame, and distraction with our petty little things that we think are so urgent. On and on the list could go. But maybe an image that would help us understand repentance is to think of God's life, the life of freedom and forgiveness, being a a house that we are invited to enter. But the only door is a door that's very low, about that high, and it's very small. And the only way we can get in is to get on our knees And I would do that for you now, but I was afraid I couldn't get back up. To get on our knees and to unload all of our stuff, the only way we can get into God's family, into God's forgiveness, is to get on our knees, to humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do this by myself. I can't manage life without you. I have to unload all my junk, my sin, my stuff, my pride. That's the only way we can enter. And Simon Peter says, when we turn... When we, when we do that, our sins are wiped away, blotted out. In Simon Peter's day, writing was done on parchment or on wax tablets. And the only way to erase it and to use it over again, because it was, it was expensive and precious, you couldn't just throw it away, you had to continually reuse it. They took a rag and doused it in some kind of oil product, and they scrubbed until it was blotted out, and you couldn't see those words anymore. Simon Peter says, that's what happens to our sins as we repent 
Our sins are wiped away. They're deleted. They're erased. What a beautiful, beautiful sermon he preached. But, did you know that repentance is taught in the New Testament as something not just for people who are coming to Christ for the first time? Repentance is throughout the New Testament and the Old for God's people who need to be in a continual lifestyle of repentance. We don't like to think about that. We always think of repentance. Boy, I sure hope there's some people without Christ here this morning to hear the preacher talk about repentance. I hope he really gives it to them. Right? I had a great theology professor at seminary, Dr. Morris Ashcraft. And one day in class we were talking about this and he used a great analogy. He said it's like you're on a battleship and you're out in the ocean and you receive orders to return to port, to return home. And he said, turning that battleship around is a big deal. It's dramatic and it's huge because it has to turn around 180 degrees. And he said, that's important to head back in the right direction. But he said, even as the battleship, after the battleship has turned around, the current of the ocean will pull the ship off course unless the ship is doing continual course corrections. So that the course of the ship, if it's charted, is never a straight line, but it zigs and it zags because it's in continual course correction. And as believers, we celebrate the repentance, that big turning, when we first gave our lives to Jesus, when we first turned around. But have we spent enough time dealing with the biblical concept that there are all kinds of things in this world that cause us to drift off course and that the believer's life is one of continually following Jesus, continually denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and continually repenting. Now, I don't know what pulls you off course. I don't know what causes you to drift, but I bet you know, and I bet God knows, Gossip, lust, ugly attitudes, jealousy, a wicked tongue, selfishness, hatred, a lot of stuff out there causing us to drift. The continual call to repentance that every believer needs to hear. I loved Teresa's children's time, and uh, before she did that, I had already planned to tell this story. Uh, A lady was leading children's time in a church, and like Teresa, she was saying to the children, when we mess up, when we sin, what should we do? And of course, the leader was looking for the word, say I'm sorry, ask forgiveness, but one little girl raised her hand and shouted loud enough for everybody to hear, stop it! Stop it. That, that's repentance. Stop it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave one of the defining phrases of the Christian journey when he talked about cheap grace. This is in one of probably his best-known book, The Cost of Discipleship. Cheap grace is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Just to come on down and get your Jesus prize. There's nothing to it. 
Nothing has to, nothing has to change. Just claim it. Go back the way you were. But it doesn't work that way, according to the New Testament. Like the little girl said, stop it. Repentance is a change of behavior. It is not cheap grace. It is not forgiveness without repentance. If you noticed in Peter's sermon, they're really hand in hand. They're not even separate. They're together. But as I was preparing this sermon, there was somebody who offered a a definition, a, a translation of the word repentance that I want us to think about for just a moment. This person said, to repent is to go beyond the mind we have. That's an interesting thought. To go beyond the mind we have. The mind we have says, yes, I'll give my life to Jesus, but I'll still be a cultural Christian. I'll blend in with culture and values as they are. I'll absorb all the values and the, and the assumptions of my prevailing culture, and I'll, and I'll just name Jesus. But to repent is to go beyond the mind we have. What if, instead of letting our lives be shaped by culture and its values, our lives were shaped by the kingdom of God, by the teaching of Jesus? There'd be a revolutionary thought. What if instead of letting our lives be shaped by our peers and the pressure of peers, we let our lives be shaped by the kingdom of God to turn to the kingdom of God? What if instead of letting our lives be shaped by our own egos or our own ambitions, we let our lives be shaped by the kingdom of God and we heard the call to continually repent and to come home to the kingdom of God? See, life would be different. And people would notice. Brian McLaren has a word on this. Repentance is more than being sorry. It's being different. And the world will never notice believers. And they'll never notice Jesus until they see that we're different. Not just being sorry. It's being different. It's being radically in love with and following Jesus. All of his teachings... When I was a senior in high school, uh, I had room for an elective course, and I took this course called Aviation Science. The, the teacher of science and physics at the high school uh, was a pilot, and uh, he, he let us do a little ground school uh, as if we were in flight training, and it was really fun. I learned a lot about aviation. Uh, and I won't tell you about the time that he took us up and let us fly a little while, but uh, that'll be another sermon probably about getting lost or something like that. But uh, one of the things that he said uh, in this little ground school course that we took in high school was something that has always stayed with me. He said, if you're flying and you see a thunderstorm, a huge, tall thunderstorm in front of you, he said, just remember, airplanes do not have a reverse, but you can always turn around. Important truth, huh? Wouldn't we love for life to have a reverse? God, I'd like a do-over on that one. Made a terrible mistake. I'm so embarrassed and ashamed. We'd like to rewind. We'd like to go back. There is no reverse in life. We can't go back. We We don't get to do it again. But we can always turn around. We can always come home. We can always turn toward the kingdom of God. That's the call on every person's life.